Hello, and welcome to Monday Night Football, your voice for youth soccer, not just for Louisiana, but for the entire northern Gulf Coast. And now, introducing your host, Alan DeRitter. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Monday Night Football, your voice for youth soccer in Louisiana. This is Coach Alan DeRitter. I'm the head soccer coach for De La Salle High School, that is for the boys. I'm also the director of coaching at Soccer Innovations of America, and just recently named director of coaching at Plantation Athletic Club, better known as PAC. I welcome you to our show, and uh, we always start off our show with a prayer, and especially this week, we, we will definitely... Uh, um, honor Rick Gailey, uh, one of my um, um, colleagues in the media industry uh, who passed away and who's going to be buried Monday at 12 o'clock at Essential Lord. Uh, that would have happened um, after post-time post of this show. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Dear God, I pray for Rick Gailey and uh, for and thanksgiving for his life. I pray that his, uh, his soul be in heaven and that all of his family members, friends, and loved ones be able to... Um, Feel our love and prayers and support, and also just know that uh, that uh, we're there for him and uh, we're there for them. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. In the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah, that was a big surprise. He was fighting cancer for a while, and uh, I've really enjoyed my time talking with him, especially uh, when we worked together on WGSO broadcasts. And he will be sorely, sorely missed and uh, irreplaceable. Okay, um, today's show, um, first of all, we're on Facebook, um, and that's what y'all wanted. Y'all, y'all, y'all begged me for the last couple of months, just go to Facebook, go to Facebook, get, uh, cut out that large overhead of the radio, and, uh, and you could probably still accomplish the same thing. My fight back was, if we're on Facebook, we're probably going to have just lovers of soccer listening, and I really appreciated six years of being able to hit that accidental listener like we're running into right now, people really uh, uh, just accidentally at lunchtime running into the World Cup and watching the games live and seeing live how much stress there is in a soccer game. You know, when you're watching it, or uh, when you're watching a highlight uh, reel or you're watching the game on uh, replay, you don't feel that kind of pressure. But when you're watching it live and knowing what it, what's at stake, especially when those two games are going on at the same time when they were deciding the group stages. A lot of people really and truly became soccer fans this month, and it always happens every four months. And I had a priest stop me uh, tonight while I was uh, finishing up uh, my activities at Mass tonight, uh, and he just was enamored with uh, Croatia and their success. And And uh, he definitely is not a soccer fan and, and could care less about what's going on with soccer, but even he was uh, kind of impressed with what, they, what he saw. And now we just need to go forward from there. And tried to still. Um, I've been trying to kindle growth for soccer in Louisiana since since I started in 1986, and especially after we hosted the World Cup in 1994. We've come a long, long way. We really, really have, uh, but we have such a far way to go. And I'm not getting any younger. So uh, with this show, I hope to kind of. Um, Keep the process going in Louisiana and try to give all of you who are in soccer in Louisiana a voice. Yeah, have a chance to um, talk about things that are going on in youth soccer and let everybody know that uh, there's a lot of work being going on on the ground levels. So we're not just existing out there. 
And that's what our show really is about. Of course, we're going to cover the World Cup a little bit towards the end of the show. Talk about the um, quarterfinals that just wrapped up and the semifinals are about to kick off. And uh, my take on those from a Louisiana point of view. But uh, for those of you listening, you know that June is a real busy month for Louisiana soccer. And the fact that uh, it's a chance for us to put our wares to the test and uh, go to the Region 3 tournaments uh, for President's Cup and for the National Championship Series and to see how we stack up. I really don't think wins and losses are a way to evaluate whether or not a state or a program is growing. But our world kind of looks at it in a different light. They do look at the wins and losses and do look at, you know, um, your performance as to whether or not your your program is stagnant, uh, decreasing in value, or growing. Um, so, I mean, you can look at it from that point of view. And from that point of view, uh, uh, it's kind of been a, a normal year for Louisiana this summer. Um, but but the, the the summer's not over yet, and I, I, I'm going to be going over really uh, the President's Cup results and the um, and we've really got some good news. Our U17 girls, Mandeville Lakers, coached by Sean Jeanfro, uh, who worked with me once before, uh, won the won the uh, Region Three tournament uh, despite not being ranked number one at the time, and um and we're really proud of them, and we look forward to hearing more success for them as they become yet another Louisiana team that's going to represent our state in in the uh, national championship um, competition. Uh, top four regions of the nation go against each other, and and uh, and the for, and the top one takes the takes the grand prize of it all. And uh, we've never had a Louisiana team win it. We've had a few teams go to it. We had a, a Chicago Fire team or Louisiana Fire team go. Recently, we've had a, a Baton Rouge team go. That was basically a, a mixture of Baton Rouge and New Orleans players back in the uh, early days of soccer. And uh, and now we have another one, this time from the North Shore, and uh, we're wishing them the best of luck. So without any further ado, let's go to the President's Cup results and the National Cup results. And the President's Cup, no surprise here, Texas South and Texas North got uh, four state championships, uh, two apiece. Georgia got one, and North Carolina got four, primarily in the girls. Um, uh, for some reason, they were very strong in the girls in the President's Cup. Tennessee got two, and Arkansas got one. So Mississippi, Alabama, uh, Florida, and Louisiana, pretty much all of the West Gulf Coast were just uh, uh, kept out of the results there in the President's Cup. In the National Cup, this is like the premier select division. Okay, Texas, Southern Texas got only one state championship. Alabama got one. North Carolina got two. Georgia got two. Florida got three. But North Texas got four. And this was primarily in the girls' um, section. So uh, North Texas well represented there. And Louisiana, like I said, we won the U-17. But we had three other results we need to really talk about. And um, our U-18 uh, girls, Mandeville Lakers, uh, were finalists. They beat Georgia and PKs in the quarterfinals. Um and then beat another Georgia team 4-3 to three in the semis, and then lost to the Florida team in the finals. So that's really good. That was coached by uh, Nick Chetta, who, if you listen to the show, we've had him on several times. Uh, head boys coach at North Lake Christian. What a wonderful young coach who's just continuing to fill up his resume. Okay, the U18 boys, Louisiana Fire, went second in, in their bracket. And then lost to Mississippi in the quarterfinals, but still making out a bracket. It was a good thing in the National Cup. Okay, so uh, well done there. 
And, our, uh, of course, this is Region 3 part of the National Cup, all right? This is to qualify. Anyhow, on our U15 Mandeville Lakers, another Mandeville team uh, won their bracket but lost in the semis to North Carolina 3-2. Uh, to two. So um, that was our, our results from our national competition. But I'm going to tell you a little trend that we're starting to notice here. Uh, I'm starting to notice especially uh, as a coach for um, Soccer Innovations of America is that uh, there were a lot of quality teams this year that didn't try out or didn't try to win the President's Cup or the National Cup's titles for the state of Louisiana, state cup title. Um, they would just went to the Open Cup, which I, I, my hat's off to Louisiana Soccer Association for having an Open Cup and allowing our teams that really can't afford to play in the President's Cup or uh, state cup to, uh, to have a chance to compete. And, man, it was a live uh, competition. Our U14s won the boys' uh, state championships. And really what we did with our U14 boys is, I think, going to be the trend. You look at the teams that won the Open Cup, a lot of these teams are these splitter tr uh, clubs that, um, that tend to uh, – not be able to afford these um, um, major competitions or to go to travel throughout the, throughout the country. And, um, uh, and what we did was at Soccer Innovations, and I'll talk to you about it after the break. We're about to break in a second. But um, I'm going to talk to you about how we are approaching now the high costs of soccer in, and developing our players at the same time. And, uh, and it's really no big secret, but it has been working, and I think it's going to be the uh, – the future of soccer in Louisiana, unless we really do something drastic at our annual general meeting to, to change it. Well, anyway, this is Coach Alan DeRitter. Um, we'll break right now for a second, and then we'll come right back at you on Monday Night Football, your voice for youth soccer. It's no ordinary sports show. Candid conversation. We've got it all. Must have guests. Significant Louisiana sports figures. Serious knowledge. Post-game breakdowns, trivia, historical flashbacks, and my editorials. That'll make even the most diehard sports fans go wow. From the one guy who's always in the zone. It's what happens when you've been around Louisiana sports this long. The WGNO Sports Zone, Wednesdays at 1015. All right, welcome back to Monday Night Football, your voice for youth soccer. We're doing our Facebook version of this now. And um, if we have a lot of listeners and we really uh, show that there's um, or really see that there's a demand for the show, uh, we'll create a Facebook page so you can ask me your questions or just put me your comments. You can always put our comments on MN Football. That's M-N-F-U-T-B-O-L on Twitter. And uh, I'll get to your questions next week. Uh, hopefully in in the future, we're going to be going live, okay, on Facebook Live. But we want to do this right, so today we did it on a podcast. Anyway, we're going to talk about the World Cup semifinals and the World Cup quarterfinal results. But this segment, i really like to talk to you about uh, the state of Louisiana soccer um, and the Louisiana Open Cup, which we really appreciated in Soccer Innovations. Let me read you the, name, the names of the clubs that won state from U11 to U19. The New Orleans Spartans, the FC Galaxy, the uh, Lafayette Football Club, NOLA Jesters, Covington Youth Soccer Association, of course, Soccer Innovations of America, 
Lafayette Football Club again, South Tangy, Gonzalez, River Region, Lafouche Legacy, Mandeville, and uh, and also Calcasieu got some finalists along with Baton Rouge. So, y'all, look, it's not like these teams are coming from just little splinter groups. There's a couple of splinter groups in there, like the Spartans, Soccer Innovations, okay? Um, but a lot of stalwart clubs that have been around for a long time, South Tangy, Gonzalez, okay, uh, Lafouche, Mandeville, and Baton Rouge, of course. And uh, So, look, if these teams are opting to go to the Open Cup, um, do we really have our best players playing for the highest results? I, you know, I don't see any difference in the results that we had this year in our national competitions, uh, excuse me, in our Region 3 competitions um, than we've ever had. Uh, we'll see how our – how the U17 girls do for Mandeville in the national competition. But pretty much we're, we're about where we usually are this time of year, in my experience. So I don't think there's anything tangible that we're going south or north. But I will tell you this. Um, our team of Soccer Innovations, what we did was to train the team is to get the comp one teams or the teams that were going for state cup and put them on our schedules. Okay. And regularly y'all, we beat them. Uh, it's not recorded on God's soccer because, uh, these weren't official games. These are friendlies, but, uh, either before the state cup happened or afterwards, uh, these teams wanted to play us so they can get pushed and they can get, uh, some results in that they can coach and, and, and train out their weaknesses afterwards. Okay. And, we had results like that were our U-12s and our U-18s. The team that won the U-18 boys' gold division, River Regions, um, we had beat a couple of weeks before the uh, Open Cup happened. Uh, with our U-18 team, our U-18 team couldn't afford to go to State Cup because we, we decided to go to two other tournaments, and we just kind of ran out of money because we don't have a major sponsorship and and, uh, and and yada, yada, yada. Okay, a lot of our kids really just cannot afford – the, the price that soccer costs um, in Louisiana and in the rest of the country. And I think if you've been listening to the show forever, uh, for the last six years, you've been hearing me say over and over again, our problem is not that our teams are being poorly coached. Everybody's working their tails off, okay? I, I, I see it. I, I experience it on the sidelines, when I'm walking around the playgrounds, Louisiana soccer is doing all they can do uh, to make everything the best that they can. Uh, they're, they're tr this Open Cup was a way to reach out uh, to the the needy out there. And we also won a grant recently that is going to try to reach out to the uh, underserviced community. Um, but until we can get the poor people playing and get this, we got to get the poor people to want to play. That That's something that money can't buy okay uh, shows like this or the world cup being on in all hours uh, and people running into it when they go into the fox networks um that's what we really need okay mls is getting better um mls soccer is still a retirement home for a lot of european stars but it it is still the uh, getting better okay and, and so we have come a long way. I grew up with the NPSL with Pele playing for the New York Cosmos and that and the Tampa Bay Rowdies, and that was a disaster. And and uh, at least now we have TV contracts where kids can run into soccer games and run into them regularly. Um, and and maybe the the love could come from that. 
Um, I think, I think, however, until you have uh, our Leonard Fournette's coming out to play soccer, okay, uh, you're going to be really uh, uh, second fiddle. Like, for example, Lukaku, okay, um, from Belgium. Uh, you put his, his portrait next to Leonard Fournette's, and you're going to see two athletes very, very similar, okay? If Lukaku had been born in America, he'd have played fullback or running back or tailback, but he was not born in America, okay? He was born abroad and immediately started playing soccer. And the difference between Leonard Fournette and Lukaku is is really stark. Lukaku is going to probably own th- uh, earn three to four times more money than Leonard Fournette I don't know if Leonard understands that. And he's not going to get the Dane Bramish from getting his skull kicked in week in and week out in the NFL. Okay? Uh, usually a running back in the NFL, if they make three years, they've done well. Uh, Lukaku could probably go for 20. And and in the NFL, y'all, uh, we have 53 players, I think, on a roster, like for the Saints. Yeah, we packed the stadium at, at these prices and – and then we put that money into the pocket split 53 ways. I'm oversimplifying it, of course. But you have the exact same size crowds, if not bigger, paying, if anything, more to go watch teams like Juventus or Real Madrid. And you have 20 players splitting the pot. It doesn't take a mathematical genius to see that the money's going to be a little differently distributed there. And get this, we only have a four-month season with American football, World, in world football, if you're playing for Paris Saint-Germain, you're starting up in July with these uh, American tournaments that exist now for them to get some extra spending money on the side. And then you're starting your really your, your hardcore play from August until May. So you're filling up your stadium uh, at least once a week, okay, sometimes twice a week at two $300 a ticket. I mean, my goodness, okay, uh, uh I find that my my students and my players, even the soccer players, they don't realize how much money an average soccer player or an average good soccer player, I should say, uh, will make in Europe compared to a, a middle of the road uh, guy who's going to play three years in the NFL. It's not it's not comparable. Now, if you go to these smaller clubs and these smaller countries. Yeah, NFL will have an edge. I get all that. But a lot of these players who are showcasing their talents right now in the semifinals and quarterfinals, uh, they're going to get a huge bankroll. And in their countries, get this, they would have been paid at the 14-year-old level to play for whatever club they're represented. There's no scholastic soccer, which I love. Okay, I'm one of the disciples of high school soccer. I think high school soccer is one of the the highest levels you can play in this state. And uh, it's probably one of the only levels that really can get soccer on TV. Okay, we have the Jesters and they've gotten they've gotten a good a good bit of press. Uh, but our youth soccer doesn't get any press, and uh, and really our high school soccer doesn't get press until the playoffs. And thanks to people like Ed Daniels and Sports Zone, you know he'll take some time and and cover soccer because he knows that there's a lot of people that are out there that uh that support it. But uh, for the most part, if he wants to make a living, he's got to cover American football. He's got to, okay? Because the Amer- the average American sports fan wants to know. 
when the Saints are changing their shoes, when the Saints are going to go take a nap uh, in their mini camp and things of that nature. And they have no idea the bigger world out there that they're missing and really how small our world is here. And back to the, to the, the mainstay of this conversation, if we're going to put our best athletes at the Open Cup level, how are we developing them to be able to try out for our national team? And I'm going to tell you, we're not. Okay, I'm hoping that the players that I'm developing or that we're developing on soccer innovations, we can get them on an ODP uh, financial aid deal and, and get them playing ODP soccer and get on a player pool. But for the most part, they're going to play our state champions. They're not going to play the regional Premier League teams that represent California or Ohio or Florida or New York, which they really need to be playing if they're going to get national recognition and put in a national pool. Most of the players that play in the Open Cup are going to have their medals from the Open Cup, and that's it. Um, what a shame. I put a guy who, for example, uh, on ODP um, this year, and he's gotten dramatically better from going to ODP because his parents could afford going. And I think that speaks volumes. I mean, the ODP experience is positive. It's, it, it exposes kids to college coaches that they normally would not be able to get to the highest level of coaching in Louisiana that they would normally not, uh, not uh, get experienced with and, uh, or, or matched up with. And, and I see the uh, – the growth of this one player, I'm going to keep him nameless, uh, not to embarrass him, but is is off the scale. And if he would have been poor, he would have never gotten that kind of training. Um, uh, I know, I know that we have to pay for our referees. I know that we have to pay for our soccer associations. Uh, but y'all, as long as our coaching directors are getting paid six figures, uh, this problem is not going to be solved anytime soon. Uh, you could have. Um, Youth outreaches to the to the younger playgrounds and the poorer neighborhoods, and maybe identify a kid or two that you could bring on to your premier teams and give full scholarships to. But the average soccer player who's six years old or younger needs to be developed, and you really don't know at six what kind of player they're going to be at sixteen. You got to invest the four or five years of of really good coaching, and I don't see that for the most part still in our state. U six player is getting coached by a father. And the average, um, um, the, the above average U16 player is getting play, uh, coached by a professional coach when it's really too late to develop their skills. The golden time to develop their skills is at four, five, and six. That's the, mo the model that I pattern my soccer clubs out of is the same one that I, I stole from France many, many years ago. Your best coaches should be coaching at the U6 level, and then you work from there. And... If you're going to identify just one or two players at the U6 level, uh, that's not going to cut it. We'll get lucky every now and then. Well, we're out of time for this segment. When we come back, we'll talk about the world soccer scene and the World Cup and have some fun with that. Sorry for my rant, uh, but if I'm going to see soccer grow in my lifetime, we really got to make radical changes and to have them made quickly. Anyhow, this is Coach Alan DeRoder from Monday Night Football. We'll see you after the break. Hello, this is Coach Alan DeRitter, and I want to invite all of you to take a closer look at De La Salle High School in New Orleans. De La Salle is a dynamic, inclusive community committed to academic excellence by evidence with our classrooms of the future, and of course, our commitment to athletics is second to none. Come take a look at DeLaSalleNOLA.com and schedule your spend a day today. That's DeLaSalleNOLA.com. 
All right, welcome back to Monday Night Football, your voice for youth soccer in Louisiana and the northwestern Gulf Coast. I'm Coach Alan DeRitter. Again, I'm the head soccer coach at De La Salle for the boys and the director of coaching at Soccer Innovations and Plantation Athletic Club. Okay, in this segment, let's have some fun with the quarterfinal matches, looking at them from really a Louisiana perspective, all right? Uh, Uruguay and France was the first quarterfinal, and France really showed that they have young talent, and experienced veterans working almost seamlessly right now at the best time of the year, at the best time of the last four years, really, going into the semifinals. Uruguay is full of talent. I thought their year to win was four years ago. And then, of course, y'all know what happened. Sanchez bet an Italian. It's not good to eat Italian food during a game, you know. <laughs> and uh, anyhow, getting suspended for the next game, that just – uh, sealed Uruguay's doom uh, in the last World Cup. Here, I thought they kind of overachieved. Um, very talented team, but France was young and spirited and and very forceful. And this France team is going to be a hard team uh, to beat out now. Uh, they have a lot of momentum going, and Uruguay was really uh, our – our hemisphere's last chance after Brazil bowed out to to Belgium. Now, Belgium, y'all, is my pick to win the whole thing, okay? Uh, even though they're in the Final Four, people are still saying I'm crazy for picking them. But uh, what I do like about Belgium is that they don't have that superstar baggage that, that the NBA is full of, okay, where you have the tail wagging the dog. Okay, uh, like Argentina, watching Messi basically take over the coaching of the Argentine team, what was the result of that? Okay, uh, they played a false nine, uh, and then they finally made a change of 10 minutes left to go, and, and it was too little too late, you know. Uh, in Belgium's case, the tail's not wagging the dog. I don't know what's going on in Brazil's case with Neymar, but Neymar's theatrics really caught up with him, okay, because the referee, the referees now in the quarters and the semis, they're going to be the best, and they're not going to put up with, with all the shenanigans that all these players have a reputation of pulling off, okay, of overreacting towards injuries. And I think Neymar kind of um, sealed his fate and sealed Brazil's fate really in the last couple of games because this referee was only going to call a foul if he was 100% sure that there was a foul really worth calling. And uh, – uh, there's a lot of controversy in Brazil still uh, with with the result, but yeah, you know, I think the better team won. I really do. I mean, they were hanging on their fingernails at the end because Brazil si decided to play and take them seriously towards the end. But how many times have we seen that in Brazil, where they're kind of like walk out thinking that they're going to be the champions, they're going to be the winners, and then all of a sudden they got their hands full. I've been to Portsmouth, England, and played two Brazilian teams, uh, um, and. I'm telling you, uh, uh, Brazilians have a swagger about them. Uh, and the compounds, like I played one in Portsmouth and one in, one in uh, northern Italy at the Como Cup. And they just expect to be better. I, I think the majority of us expect if we say, like, for example, if I told you you have a Brazilian going out for your club team, you're probably going to get excited thinking, oh, because he's Brazilian, he's good. Not necessarily, you know, not necessarily. Uh, is Brazil the best? They got five star stars, and that's not an accident, you know. But Belgium beating them two to one shows to me, uh, anyhow, that uh, that was a huge monkey off their back to be able to beat a team that highly ranked. And I think the future is bright for Belgium. 
Okay, Sweden and England. God bless the English, okay? They've been, since they've won the uh, World Cup in 66, they've had that huge monkey on their back uh, that they have not been able to shake off that can you win a World Cup away from your home soil? That's kind of uh, powering France too because France uh, won on their home soil. Can they win away from their home soil? Really hard to do, all right? And it's really easy to do to win on your home soil. Um, the adrenaline that we saw with Russia, it almost paid off again after they beat Spain in penalty kicks uh, and having their back against the wall in overtime looking like all was lost. And, and then all of a sudden the Russian crowd comes alive and the bench starts asking for them to start cheering. And I don't know if anybody here who's ever played a game in a stadium knows that when the whole crowd is cheering for you, there's just some energy that transpires in that process. And Russia almost cut to the semis, which wouldn't have been a first time for a host country that was ranked very, very low to do that. I remember South Korea doing that in 02 and really looking like they had a shot. So my hat's off to Russia. The better team won with Croatia. I mean, um, you, you just said Luka was – I mean, you know, he's a, he's a world-class player, and he puts his team on his shoulders. And Croatia has a lot to play for. Croatia had a lot to play for. A lot of people wouldn't have understood that here in America, but the political baggage between a Croatian team who traditionally uh, is at odds with Russia's uh, long-loved ally, Serbia, okay, uh, th there would have been a lot of bad blood on that field. Let me just put it that way. And in the stands. And my hat's off to the Russians for putting on a class tournament, not letting that get in the way. And Euros that kind of got in the way uh, two years ago, uh, but but not in Russia itself. And so uh, the Croatia result, I think, was the right result. Um, when it comes to England, show me any country that has better soccer fans than England, y'all. Okay? Uh, and, and this is what I mean by that. The passion is one thing. There's passionate fans in Argentina, Brazil, okay, uh, um, Oh, I mean, I could just rattle off the passionate fans that are out there. But the thing is, is that you have to be passionate in the wallet also. And that's why a lot of these South American players play in Europe, okay? Because you have passion in La Liga. You have passion in Serie A. Let less passion in, in the French first division. But in England, I'm telling you, they're, they're attracting some of the best talent in the world because they pay. And because if you had four games a week, those stadiums in England will be full. And those fans, uh, they, can, they can see quality uh, like anybody, and they're just now starting to come on board with England. I mean, Sweden's still not a big giant. Uh, there was, you know, they were thinking they would have to deal with Spain. And so really England beating Croatia, that, that's a winnable game. And the English fans deserve it. Um, I hope they get it. Uh, by the same token, uh, who are you going to root for if you live in Louisiana? Because if you live in southeastern Louisiana, Plaquemines Parish is primarily Croatian. They've Americanized all the names to have, you know, Vich at the end, uh, as opposed to just end with a C and that little um, um, apostrophe mark. I, I don't even know what it is, accent mark, to say that you're supposed to say Radovich or something like that. But um, – in Southeast Louisiana, it's going to be tough. You know, we speak English. Um, Croatia uh, is a big part of our culture. 
France. My goodness, my my mom speaks French. <laughs> French, not my wife. My wife, my mom, and uh, she didn't teach me French because she didn't want me to be ostracized by Americans, and so we weren't allowed to learn the language, which I'm still angry at her about. But uh, there's going to be a lot of people who speak uh, and who are. Um, people who think that they're French, who are going to be really behind France against, really, an arch-rival Belgium, okay? Um, Belgium, um, I think uh, you have a lot, a lot of people in Belgium speak French, okay? Um, Belgium is kind of known by the English for their beer, okay? Uh, a lot of English go to Belgium for that reason. Uh, there's going to be a lot of camaraderie, really, between Belgium, France, and England. Not so much with Croatia, an Eastern European team. It's nice to see an Eastern European team in the mix. It's not the first time uh, that we've had this, and my heart's going to be kind of uh, bleeding for Croatia, but at the same token, uh, all the hearts that have been broken in England all these decades, uh, uh, you kind of have to pull for them too. It's going to be a wonderful semifinal uh, game between France and Belgium and England and Croatia. I'm going to tell you this, you're going to find me glued to my television set. When we come back, we're going to talk about these matches coming up on, on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday and also the finals on Monday Night Football, your voice for youth soccer. We'll see you right after the break. All right, welcome back to Monday Night Football, your voice for youth soccer in Louisiana and the Gulf South. All right, back to talking about this week's exciting semifinal matchups in the World Cup. Uh, these teams had a lot of time to prepare for all of their matches so far, but the turnaround now is 72 hours for some of these teams, and, that, and that's rough, uh, very rough uh, when you're playing at this level. And, and a lot of these games have been going to penalty kick shootouts, 120 minutes in heat and humidity. Uh, I don't have to tell a person from Louisiana what that's like. So uh, it's going to be tough. I'm going to be at that funeral tomorrow for Rick Gailey, which I invite all y'all to go to. Um, and uh, I'm not going to be getting home to the second half. And what I expect really, though, is um, what we normally expect in a semifinal match. A lot of teams play not to lose in the first half, which I don't know if that's very smart. I think in Belgium's case, they proved that playing to win in the first half and then shutting down the hatches in the second half when your legs are tired was a pretty good strategy against Brazil. It caught them off guard. And uh, I think England does a really good job of that, too. They really played high pressure in the beginning. It's something to consider. Uh, but if you play high pressure in the beginning and you don't get the results, man, what are you going to do in the 120th minute? And you saw those tired legs for Croatia and Russia in the shootout and the effect it had on those shots. Y'all, with fresh legs, all those balls go on target probably. But with the pressure in, in spaghetti legs, I call them, uh, um, you saw what you saw. You know, that's what makes a shootout so much fun to watch. Uh, it's not necessarily the way we coaches like to see our teams bow out of a tournament. But, you know, it is a fan-driven sport too. So you got France. France is very, very confident. Uh, they have the experience of, uh, uh, of any team, as good experience of any team that's left in the World Cup right now. I think France and all, all the people, all the pundits are out there talking about the World Cup. Uh, they pretty much believe that this is France's World Cup to lose. And so I, I'm personally looking forward to the Belgium match. Uh, of course, this this show is airing after the game. <laughs> so hopefully I'm not going to have big egg on my face as this, as this show gets uh, posted on Facebook. And uh, 
But I, I'll, I'll take the crow. I'll eat all the crow I need to if France wins because if France beats Belgium, Belgium still had a great World Cup, and uh, uh, there's nothing to be ashamed of. But, y'all, I really believe that Belgium's going to win because of their team – the team aspects that they have. They don't have a a, a person uh, like uh, Griezmann or um, Pogba who who demands some attention. Um, they they have De Bruyne, Hazard, who distribute the ball. That's what they're known for doing, distributing the ball. Playing, they, they show that they can have a, a diverse makeup with their formations, and that's always a sign of a really good team that they're not formation-driven but system and result-driven. And uh, to start off with a 3-5-3 and to end off with five fullbacks and not miss a beat, that just shows me a team that is bought in um, to what they're trying to do and they're, they're not letting their selfish you know, desires get in the way. Y'all, this game, if, if I wasn't at a funeral, I'd probably have my kids from De La Salle at my house watching it. I'm hoping they're watching it with bated breath, you know. Uh, and then, <clears throat> excuse me, on Tuesday you got Croatia and England. Here you have a team that's hungry with England. A team that's got some raw speed. Sterling's very fast on the top, okay? His touches after he gets to the ball are kind of suspect, but even looking at the last game with England with Sweden, you could tell that the English are still getting to know each other. I mean, they, they, their egos are – they're definitely not ego-driven as well. Um, I would say neither is Croatia, which is kind of uh, – a statement in itself because you still got Luca on the field uh, playing for them, who's a real Madrid superstar. But uh, uh, I don't see him the him to be the type of player that Ronaldo is. Okay, uh, he really wants to do what's right for his teammates, and I really think of the Croatia England game. You're going to see one of the classic games uh, of old. Okay, where you have two teams with everything on the line throwing their bodies out everywhere. And you saw with Croatia that Croatia didn't play around. Um, when they played Spain, they threw their bodies around, frustrated the Spaniards, and, uh, and, and, and got them to lose. You know, So um, Croatia is not intimidated with a shootout. Croatia will try to do what it's got to do to win the game in regular time. England uh, is, is showing off that they're really good at their set pieces. Everybody, give me a break now. In this World Cup – is showing that set pieces are, are the modern game with weight training, strength training, the development of the balls, how how aerodynamic these balls are. They're, they're, uh, these The synthetic quality of these game balls, I bring these balls to, to my games, and really a lot of other teams have a hard time handling them because they've never touched the ball of that quality. Those balls have a lot of, uh, a lot of spunk to them. I'll put it to you that way. Okay, um, You can spin them. You can uh, – um, Send them as far as you need to. Uh, they're hard to handle first touch. And and so, you know, a lot of teams just say, okay, well, we're just going to score and restarts. And this is the probably the, the – uh, I'd have to look at the stat books, but this World Cup is probably going to be the restart uh, World Cup of all time. Uh, people scoring on direct kicks, indirect kicks, and, uh, and corner kicks. And now you really got to put in that equation something we've always known in Louisiana. A throw-in in the attacking third is a weapon. Okay, those advertisements get in the way, but a lot of these teams are being able to throw the ball uh, far post, and that creates havoc. Okay, it, it always has, always will. Uh, that ball kind of floats in the air and gives a player who's not in position at the time the ball is thrown a chance to adjust to it and run to it. And uh, the potential for a penalty kick is huge because how many times have we seen this year 
the referees telling players to separate, but then they allow them to pull and tug at each other, and then things show up on the uh, video replay, which, by the way, I, I have found to love. I was surprised. I like the human element of the game. Soccer is – there's no sport better than soccer in relating the, the things that you have to deal with in this planet called Earth when it comes to politics, uh, prejudice, and um, non-fairness and that kind of business, you know. But the VAR has is, is really worked, I think, quite well uh, in cutting down all the dives that we usually have. We still have too many, uh, but if the referees would just have the guts to card more dives – uh, I think you would start getting that part of the game uh, um, eliminated, and I think you'll probably gain the respect of an American fan. I mean, quite frankly, an American is not impressed when you get kicked in the leg and you fall down and you grab your nose and try to look like you got kicked in the face. Or if you got touched in the neck and you drop down as if you have a broken nose, uh, I mean, that's showmanship. You, uh, y'all could call it gamesmanship. I could just call it straight-out cheating. Okay, I think if you're going to beat a team, uh, you really got to uh, put your best foot forward and let everything hang out on the field. But uh, I'm looking forward to talking to Ed Daniels Wednesday night on Sports Zone, which I hope that all of y'all watch at 10:20 on Channel 26 this Wednesday night. Um, he was in St. Petersburg and other teams, um, and other teams in uh, um well, he was in Russia, let's put it that way, and he got a chance to experience the World Cup the way I was able to do that in uh, 1998 in France. And I'm sure he's coming back with a different perspective about soccer than he had when he went there. Um, he's got to have noticed what I've noticed. I thought when the Saints won the Super Bowl, it would be the closest thing to the, what I experienced in Como, Italy, when Italy beat Switzerland in a group stage game, one to nothing, and the whole town shut down and everybody started a parade uh, on Main Street and all the businesses closed. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that was just a, a, a group stage match, not a final. And so uh, I hope that uh, Ed has had a chance to experience the craziness of soccer and really how Croatia and England, and especially Croatia and Russia before, I mean, cheating kind of all is fair in love and war. And a lot of these people, they look at these games as war, okay? I don't see how, uh, if you get a chance tomorrow, listen to the French National Anthem, have it interpreted for you. And imagine what's going on if you're a Belgium fan who understands French and uh, how are you going to address somebody talking about maybe take the blood of our enemies and fertilize the furrows of our fields, saying that over and over again. Okay, this is nationalism at its core. Hopefully sportsmanship will win out. Like, uh, I don't know about y'all, but I was totally impressed with Japan. Japan was a role model for all of our kids to emulate. Uh, getting in on fair play points and the way they went out uh, to the team that I picked, Belgium, uh, was was incredible. They cleaned the locker room. They cleaned the field. I mean, they're first, first class okay and uh, I hope to see all of that in the finals this week and then I mean in, in the semifinals in the next two days well, when we come back we'll be talking about the uh, results of the finals I'm also going to hopefully try to get Shane Jonfro on the on the uh, air try to see what he's doing to prepare for nationals and to see what kind of uh, uh, new rule changes we're kind of come up with in LHSAA soccer um, we haven't really touched that at all in this first broadcast back. Y'all, if you do like this uh, idea and this concept, 
please forward it to your friends on Facebook. And let's see what kind of result we have. If we have a good result, I'll keep it up. And, uh, and we'll get this thing going um, and get this thing a, in a permanent statue and start uh, getting ads for the show. If you're interested in advertising on the show, just message me at M-N-F-U-T-B-O-L. That's at M-N-F-U-T-B-O-L. And I'll give you the information that you need to advertise on our show. May God bless you and your family. Carpe diem in Christ. And enjoy the rest of the World Cup, y'all. This is Alan Dritter signing out.